This episode is brought to you by Paraswap, the leading aggregator to find best prices across various DEXs. You'll hear more about them later in the show. Hey everyone, quick reminder, nothing said on Empire is a recommendation to buy or sell securities or tokens. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any views expressed by anyone on the show are solely our opinions, not financial advice. Santiago and I and our guests may hold positions in the companies, funds, or projects discussed. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to this latest episode of Empire. We have a very special guest, dear to my heart, uh, Jason Cam, who goes by Maple Leaf Capital on Twitter, which all odd of you may have seen. Uh, Jason and I go way back. Uh, I think we first met like everything good in crypto happens on Twitter. And he DM'd me and, and I was just liking his, his tweet um, storm, uh, his tweet threads. If you haven't looked at them, you should go and follow him on Twitter. And, and, you know, I think the first thing I said is, wow, like it is, it is hard to find really good content, like, like equity research style content that I was used to seeing in in Wall Street and and, and just normally in Wall Street. It's hard to find that in crypto. And I think Jason puts out some of the most thoughtful content. Back then, he was doing this part time. And I reached out to him and said, well, Jason, this is really content. Where do you work? I assuming that he was just doing this full time. He said, no, wait a minute. He's like, LOL, I do this part time. Uh, I work at a at a large hedge fund uh, at a tiger cub, and to me that's I I got really excited and Jason and I became really good friends. I think he was probably and still is the person that I talk to the most uh, because I love his perspective and his insight into crypto, especially from someone coming you know c- coming from the outside in. I think that vantage point was was very useful and it really comes across in his research. So this episode is going to be really exciting. Jason is at the forefront. He is in 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 Asia. And he, his focus, Folius Ventures, uh, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, is really focused on this frontier um, of capturing opportunity in these markets. Like statistically speaking, a lot of good stuff should come out of that, but it's always been a head scratcher that we haven't seen really, really good projects, at least from my estimation, coming out of the region. So that's your thesis. Uh, let's, let's, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't we just start with you know, what are you seeing on the ground? Um, what is so exciting? Like, why does someone like you decide to leave and go to Hong Kong? And, and especially, how, how do you see that versus, you know, opportunities elsewhere? Yeah, well, Santi and Jason, thanks for having me. Um, let, let me just by saying also the feelings mutual, because I, I, I remember our talk during Christmas, I guess, uh, like two years ago, you know, December 2020, when you try to really convince me to jump into space. And uh, the rest was history. And again, thank you for, for all the support. Um, I think I decided to start Folius, you know, in around May and, and the fund launched in September. I, I thought at the time it was it was very a simple two-part thesis. You know, part, part one is that I think the space is getting to a decent place when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to potential application, or when it comes to potential regulatory sort of, uh, uh, I guess, acceptance, if you, if you may put it that way. Like it, it, the space went from potentially or possibly interesting to likely uh, uh, interesting and potentially you know world changing, and and the other piece why you know I f- I figured like the the edge and the focus on APAC is that for for some of the better um, APAC entrepreneurs that if they were to come to the space, uh, they were really only faced with you know three types of capital that they can source. The first type is what you would call uh, the sort of Chinese or APAC native. Uh, capital that is the Sequoia Chinas of the world, 
Except the problem with these Chinese capital is that they are eighty、uh, percent of their uh, 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 money come from mainland China, as well as you know funding mainland Chinese businesses. Where if you spend ninety percent of your time dealing with the Chinese government, it's really hard for you to you know go really hard into Web three and funding it full fledged.、Um, the second source of capital I saw during the time is the obvious sort of the light speed, the existence, the paradigms of the world. Except when the zero to one is happening so rapidly in the U.S. and Europe, I think those guys' time and attention are probably still best spent focusing on their lane. And at the same time, I think the language and cultural barrier was still a bit of an issue. Like, there's no question that they will be in APEC in one or two years, but not yet. Right? There's a window of opportunity. And then the third piece is that that the third source is what I would call the sort of crypto native capital coming out of APEC.、Um, and and those guys. There are some really good ones, but I think the paradigms of the world still don't exist in APEC yet, and and a lot of them are made their money in completely different ways versus you know how what we know Web three natives would make their money, which is through mining, through trading, through、uh, pump and dumps and whatnot. That that usually make them. I wouldn't say they are like intentionally、uh, opportunistic, but they are certainly sometimes more short term and less institutional than the sort of Western funds that you would talk to. So, so if you were a founder coming out of you know ByteDance and you know Tencent,、uh, and you're looking for a C stage or Series A funding, there aren't really that many really good options, especially when your English is you know、uh, needs a little bit of work. So, so at the time, I thought there was a sort of two year opportunity, where if I speak fluent Mandarin and Cantonese, I can really capture that uh, uh, opportunity to sort of provide、uh, institutional long term missionary capital. To early stage founders in the region,、um, I think we haven't really seen a lot of、uh, spectacular. Well, I wouldn't say that, right? Because there are some really interesting APEC startups that are happening. You know, there's Terra Luna from Korea, there is Polygon from India. You know, there is、uh, X Infinity from、uh, from Vietnam,、uh, and there are a bunch of deals happening. I think historically, crypto was going through this Web three zero to one moment, where the space migrated from. Uh, uh, A sort of you know self-anointed、uh, inflationary hedge to government responsibility, which is pre-17, to this sort of Eve plus DeFi based、uh, a virgin birth of Web3 internet of of value, and then we start going through this like you know one to a hundred movement of the space going from Eve plus DeFi to multi-industry,、uh, multi-chain, multi-layer. But but I think before the industry go through that migration. Most of the innovation was, you know, zero to one. It was infrastructure related. It was the very foundational pieces. Whereby, if you were to really look at what's happening in APEC, I think they, they were not there in the sort of very foundation of the Web two internet. You know, they were they adopted a technology that was coming from the West, the four or five, well, the three four G technology, the Web, you know, two way of SaaS businesses, B two C technology. But but you know, they, they they adopted it, and they were they were really good. You know, I I would argue that the, the APEC. Web two really started in two thousand eight when iPhone came out, and, and they were extremely good at B two C and scaling things from one to a hundred. So it, it's of no surprise that we were sort of absent in the past, you know, even before twenty twenty, because it's just not what you would call the best specialty, let alone the absolute size of you know programmers、uh, that sort of were trained in the valley were sort of a lot larger than what they were trained you know properly in in in, in APAC region. So I think that's the main reason, and I think if we were to look at the next sort of three to five years,、um, if the space were to go from one to a hundred, and if we start really thinking about 
the applications on top that breaks into the next 10 million users, I think APAC is extremely well positioned because the guys there are really experienced yeah. in doing that. Let me pause there. Yeah, I mean, no, that's that's fascinating. I mean, I think like, I do agree with you. And, and I think you, in your prior role covering software, a lot of people in the West sort of missed a huge trade of like the Alibaba's of the world, the WeChat's of the world, Tencent's, because we were used to thinking that particularly for places like China, from a manufacturing perspective, it's sort of a copycat, right? And the reality is that from a consumer standpoint, from a kind of infrastructure standpoint, like what WeChat has done in finance, I've always felt that like looking at Asia offers a path towards how how things are going to move, right? You could have looked at WeChat and how this super app is was being developed to understand how finance is going to go digital. And that would have probably led you to perhaps be bullish on DeFi. Um, I am I am curious, as, you know, as you talk about like broad mainstream adoption, right? Uh, I think that's super exciting. Last year was a wave of NFTs. This year, you know, we talk about meta. That might be like the, the big trend. Day like today, the market continues to go down. Everyone's like looking at it's Everything's traded as like, as you probably pointed out in, in your investor letter, like very much tech centric, like with huge beta risk on. Um, what are your views? Like, do you think that a bear market, if there is one, t- derails this adoption and interest from the consumer, which is finally, I think what you're saying is crypto is delivering useful applications. And we could talk about a few that, that you've invested in that I know of, like Stepin, for instance. But I am curious, like, still, it is a very speculative driven market. Um, and and are, if we are in bear market territory, what does that do for adoption of these applications that have incentives and people are playing Axie because they're earning SLP? And if the price of SLP is not strong enough, then does that totally strip away the value proposition that we're used to, you know, thinking that crypto delivers? Or is this just all, you know, a Ponzi, if you will? <laughs> I was always of the view to answer your first question, which is, you know, there's Bitcoin and there's everything else. And Bitcoin is a tick rate on broad consensus of it being an inflationary hedge. Um, some may view it as a risk on asset. And we see the market duking it out right now, but it's, it's definitively its own asset class. And we can have a separate debate about its long-term security model because the transactional fee is not going to cover its security budget in a couple of years. Um, but then everything else, my, <laughs> I joke, I just joked about it with my, one of my LPs is that like, I thought I came to the world of Web3 betting on the future instead I'm just trading, you know, small cap NASDAQ. <laughs> um, you know, my, my view is this is definitively at the bullwhip of the risk curve. You know, this is frontier tech VC. This is like, you know, Silicon Valley when it was, you know, 1980s, 1990s. Um, and naturally, it would be subject to the, the brunt of liquidity uh, and, and what the Fed decides to do with the 10-year, uh, with, its, with its rate hikes and the, and, the, and the balance sheet has significant impact on all risk assets, including crypto. Um, so that, that's, a, and whether, we, whether we're in a bear market really depends on, you know, what the liquidity profile of the world looks like. My, my current personal view is that, um, you know, Pulling back on quantitative easing is not tightening. Uh, potentially talking about rate hikes is not rate hikes. So a lot of what the market's trading on today is expectation of tightening of liquidity and uh, the entire yield curve and the risk assets are reacting to it. To the extent the messaging turns dovish again because of the Fed being forced to act, uh, we could have another pretty spectacular rally on the back of this. Uh, but there's no question that I think we're on a pretty... 
I've been saying that we're on the ninth inning of this like risk rally for a long time since like September. Uh, I think one one of these days I'm going to be right. Um, I think for this year, for me at the very least, it's one of four things, which is you know continuously betting on new startups that are seed and Series A stage, try not to lose money on beta, uh, farm aggressively, and then really capture one or two or three of these really interesting event driven opportunities. On the second part yeah. of the question, you know, like is it going to slow adoption? Um, I think the price can swing around. I think when you talk about adoption, which is number of users, uh, you know, uh, number of good projects, you know, started by really solid founders, and the number of developers coming to the space, I think that latter thing is up only, but the price could be still down eighty percent. Um, I think I think the progress, I, I think leverage and capital is the supercharger that accelerates and decelerates process. So to really answer your question, or is it going to slow down? The pace of growth will slow down, but the growth will continue. It's my current view. And as to whether some of these play-to-earn games are Ponzi's, I think, I think the way I think about this is just like the Web2 internet brought forth frictionless and cost-efficient information transfer. Uh, Web3 sort of allows the ownership of such information, thereby allowing eventually frictionless information, sorry, valid transfer. And that's just a new vector that businesses have to consider when they build their business, right? And and it certainly is possible that gaming should incorporate a part of it. Um, I think we're in the first first iteration of the games incorporating it. And when something incorporates so much financial leverage embedded, um, it naturally, it's almost like building a rocket that if, if, if you don't really build it well initially, like the, 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 the damage could be irrevocable. And it's really hard to fix some of these things unlike traditional games. So okay, for, for the last like ten years, right? In the first phases, you, Bitcoin was still very fragile. Now that's sort of ossified, and, and it's you know a trillion plus dollar market, like you know asset class. Fine, Ethereum kind of you know increasingly so ossifying as well, especially in the merge later this year. Uh, but still, it feels to me like the the the, the thing that I can't defend as much with uh, investors looking from the outside in is there's not many users, there's not many useful applications. We started to kind of see that last year with NFTs and interesting collaborations. NFTs are very different than DeFi. This space continues to kind of broaden, which may you may argue, well, is it going to be a bear market in NFTs? Is it is it going to be a broad based bear market, or is it going to be certain pockets within the crypto universe that see, um, you know, softness, whereas others are perhaps more, you know, weather the storm a bit more. So I'm curious to get your take on, on how you think about how the space is kind of evolving and, and forming and, and do, does everything still go back to like being super correlated to Bitcoin or, or, or certain pockets to, or regionally? I mean, obviously you're super focused on Asia. I'm just kind of curious how you think about it. You know, what's the real utility that this technology and the applications built on top of it bring to the world that makes it so superior than what we already have? Um, as for now, I really only have two vectors that I think are, uh, to me, somewhat, um, somewhat, I guess, what's the best way to put it? I can get myself behind it, right? Um, the, the first is what I would call digital entertainment. And it could be, you know, OnlyFans equivalent. It could be a game. Um, and the other one is what I would call sort of digital organizations, which is a bunch of people gathering together uh, and allocating capital incentives and ownership to achieve some common purposes. Um, the first one is interesting because all of these designs have a new vertical value transfer. And I think their ability to bootstrap and incentivize and, you know, really scale up is quite 
meaningful, especially when they loop in the creator and allow them benefit in a, in a capital fashion. And the second piece is, I think it's just a lot cheaper. I mean, there's a lot of recourse and legal boundaries on that they're crossing, but nonetheless, the ability to form a capital and leverage it behind uh, domain expertise is significant. And that's sort of what three currently enables. How does that uh, fit in with the the kind of the framework with China? Obviously, China has been tried to ban Bitcoin repeatedly. So has India. Like, uh, how does this removing frictions and, and, and enabling coordination work in kind of a more, you know, in places like China? Yeah, they're not going to like it. <laughs> uh, the quick answer is not going to like it. And is well, and the question is: China representative of uh, U.S. regulators have been a little bit more kind of wait and see and try to, you know, uh, it has felt at times that they've been trying to do and, and clamp down on the space, but then I think they sort of realize that it's too big and want to be thoughtful. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I'm curious if if you think that how China's responded and, and what is kind of the latest thinking around how does how does China work with crypto. I would almost love just like a state of the market, state of the union. I mean, I have such a Western view of China. Like my view is like, okay, China used to be one of the largest, if not the largest crypto markets. They banned it several times. This last ban, right? China had long been like the epicenter of the industry. Uh, you know, maybe 65, 75% of the world's Bitcoin mining happened there. And then Beijing effectively banished you know, Bitcoin mining in like, what what was that? May, June, July, whenever that was. And like 50% of the hash rate fell off the network. And so my very Westernized view of China is that I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Is is there even a crypto industry right there, right? That's that's my thought. So I'd love just almost like a, a state of the union, right? Like what is the state of the market, state of the union with uh, crypto in China right now? I think in the next 10 years, uh, it's very clear that the old way of Chinese growth is not going to work. Um, the daily, the sort of annual burn rate uh, of China went from 20 million, you know, 17 to 20 million new babies a year uh, per year, like, couple of years back to maybe like 14, uh, 13, couple, you know, two, three years back to now this year is looking like it's going to be maybe 10, 11 million. Um, eventually, we're going to have a sort of birth death ratio that's worse than potentially Japan, um, which basically suggests that this sort of historically real estate plus leverage plus exporting uh, plus labor intensive growth economy is not going to sustain itself. And uh, this is the trap that a lot of developing countries fell into, which is they all went through this and then they unequivocally failed to upgrade their economy to a climate tech tree, so to speak. At least that's the Beijing's belief, is that what does China need to do in this situation? Uh, what they need to do is to really look at um, what are some of the most important and globally rent-seeking technological trees that they need to climb, such that the return on invested capital can create great multiplier effects within the country and leverage all of the really well-trained engineers that they have. Um, and why is that important is because let's say um, China all of a sudden has the TSMC and, AS, uh, and SML equivalent, which is the basically the value chain that is semiconductor, right? Let's say we are now at three to four nanometer scale, like we are leading the world. Um, that basically means a lot of these semiconductor chains can be priced in RMB. And we are now, we can now uh, rent seek globally uh, for if you want to produce an iPhone, if you want to produce anything semiconductor related, you have to pay us. And that dollar that comes into China will go through the entire multiplier effect in the economy, such as this, the semi engineer, he's going to buy a house, he's going to spend locally. And that, to a great extent, costs the 7x, 6 to 7x 
sort of um, salary difference between China and the U.S. And the crux of most of it is that the wall is created in the U.S. is kept in the U.S. It can rest globally with phenomenal technology, right? So it's it's prominent and very important for China to climb the tech tree, right, in this process, and ideally denominate everything in RMB if they can. Um, when they're trying to do this, and they've narrowed down a few industries, which is semiconductor, healthcare, aerospace. Actually, if you just go down the list of what the, what the U.S. wants to ban, that's what China wants to wants to climb up to. Um, and unequivocally, there are a few challenges it has to manage, which is it has to number one, sort of really tussle with the U.S. and try not to piss off the U.S. so much that uh, it can still continue to climb with unencumbered. But secondly, it has to control you know internally to make sure that its economy is stable when it's managing through this transition, meaning that the leverage can't blow up, people cannot engage in speculative frenzies, and that you know capital doesn't flow out the country aggressively when they're managing through this transition. And there's clearly a higher priority that is better for the country. But in the interim, let's see what the blockchain does really touches on in the past couple of years. There are three industries, there are three red lines in China, again, crypto, that you just shouldn't touch and China's like aggressively try to discourage. One is, um, you know, trading. Number two is OTC transactions. And number three is mining. Um, Trading engages in speculative activities that sort of destabilizes the society. OTC activities allows for capital outflow from the country if people so choose to. And sort of mining and the whole industry really grabs energy to a great extent uh, that is competing against a lot of the initiatives that Chinese government is trying to accomplish, especially again around carbon neutrality and it comes to sort of foreign investments. So, so I, I think the Chinese government understands that Web3 is a very interesting future. But when it's compared to the next five to 10 year plan of really becoming sort of, there's no other way, this is the only way, I think it takes a second, I think it takes a back row seat. What is, take us like five years, 10 years into the future, and, and how does how does a digital yuan fit into this context? Um, you know, are they leveraging a platform like Ethereum to do settlement? Um, and there's a yuan that exists and is circulating in a permission DeFi environment. Um, are people playing these games? Um, but somehow they need to use a regulated kind of entry point into the system that allows the government to monitor and then tie your your wallet with what your all of your activity. You know, we talk about the lack of privacy in crypto, this sort of panopticon world where once people know your wallet, it is it is sort of like I think it is a regulator's like dream to have perfect visibility into the, all the economic activity that you're doing. So in many ways, this, this is the flip side of this technology, right? Which is sort of 1980 Orwellian environment where the government would want you to perhaps use all the solutions that exist today, as long as they can regulate and understand what you're doing, meaning UKYC, right? I mean, the capital outflows thing is, is, is tricky because obviously from like, you know, from a monetary policy standpoint could present issues. But otherwise, other than that, like it would feel to me like any regular, including the Chinese government, would be pro this entire Web3 kind of transparent system. They, they would pro it if they are uh, in control of it. And I think the most likely scenario is you would have your it, it's here's my guess. Right. OK, so you're going to have this like. Ethereum fork equivalent, it's almost going to look like BSC. And there are going to be like four to eight nodes, whereby it's all the banks in China, plus maybe like WeChat and Tencent and Alibaba, for example. And um, 
all of your accounts if you want to actually transact on this Ethereum-like mainnet that supports the, the digital RMB, you have to kind of KYC ML. And that's a very simple process because people already do it. Um, and, and it will be a very seamless online, offline experience because people are already spending dollars, right? With WeChat Pay and Alipay, offline and online. Um, and it will almost be like a, and because it's like four or five nodes, you know, the transactional throughput can be really, it's, it's basically a database, right? To, to a great extent with uh, some redundancy and uh, uh, sort of when you go back from on, from offline to online, you know, it can, it can be synced uh, asynchronously. Uh, uh, given the sort of um, uh, uh, chips that you directly install into the phone. So, and, and ultimately, you know, maybe even this, you know, Ethereum-based system can be linked to the cross-chain infrastructure that we already have with all the other EVMs. With the only caveat being that if you want to bridge out, just like you want to bridge out from the BSD chain to whatever, uh, they're going to ask you a bunch of questions. Okay, why, why are you sending money out? Empire is proud to be supported by Paraswap. Paraswap is one of the leading DEX aggregators in crypto. Let's say you're booking a flight. You would never go directly to an airline, right? You'd never go directly to United or Delta. You'd obviously go to Google Flights or Expedia or Kayak or Booking.com. That's what Paraswap does for DeFi. Paraswap, if you're watching on YouTube right now, you can see the platform. Paraswap makes swapping easier, it makes it faster, it makes it cheaper by aggregating more than 80 different DEXs. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, Uniswap, Sushi, Balancer, uh, Bancor into one single interface. You can use Paraswap on ETH, Polygon, as you can see here, BSC. They recently launched Avalanche a few weeks ago, pretty exciting. If you are a trader listening to this, you are losing money by not using Paraswap. And excitingly enough, if you're a company or a platform looking to access the swapping or the yield capabilities of DEXs, you can now use Paraswap's APIs to integrate into your platform to get the full power of the DEX aggregator into your platform. So head on over to paraswap.io. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see how simple it is to use. Just plug in, let's say I wanna swap you know, 0.2 ETH, for USDT, you can see how simple it is. Just plug that in right there and it aggregates over 80 different DEXs. So head on over to Paraswap, P-A-R-A-S-W-A-P dot I-O to use the platform today. All right, let's get back to the show. Who uh, who owned, uh, in, in the Folius Ventures deck, Jason, you talked a lot about the, the user journey and like the battle to own the user journey. When I think about who owns the user journey in the States, you've got like Coinbase, you've got Gemini, you've got BlockFi. On the DeFi side, you've got like, Compound and Aave and Uniswap and things like that. Who owns the user journey in China? Um, actually, let me take a step back because when you, when I say owning a user journey, it's like what is the most high, what is the highest frequency thing that user have to go through to do whatever they do in Web three. Mm. And actually, in the West, I would argue it's potentially Coinbase, right? If you are a normie and you don't even use Coinbase every day, it's probably MetaMask. Uh, it's probably depending on who you are, Zap, Perzerian, Insta, well, not Instadap, uh, Argent, uh, Rainbow Wallet, Phantom, and Vbank. Um, they they are the owner. They are the owner of the user journey, and that's why MetaMask can rent seek one hundred twenty million dollars. I think in China, if you are like also interacting with Web three, uh, chances are you are probably using something like Math Wallet. You are using Token Pocket. You are probably using Vbank and their Rabi plugin, um, and to be quite frank, like the, the journey isn't that much different than, than that of the West at the moment. And, 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 by, and by the way, and by the way, like 
why do I think owning that is interesting? And because eventually it doesn't have to be MetaMask, right? It could also be Axie Infinity because a lot of people who get, came into the world, like they might only have a Ronin wallet. Um, and, and why is it important is because it it's almost like a Web2 way of approaching this, which is, boy, if, if, if the users are lazy and they deal with this every day and it's convenient, like you can push, you can upsell whatever you want to them. Um, and that's why yeah. MetaMask is doing $120 million of revenue every year from, from just the swaps function. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the I wouldn't call it a super app concept, but I think increasingly the user entry way would become much more structured as we scale to like 100 million users. Like somebody will own the user journey and just like, I wouldn't even call it rent seek. It's like they, they have a lot of things that they can make money from. What are the Chinese tech giants thinking about crypto? What are they doing? Um, are they interested at all? Can they even do something or does it require a total reskinning that is just kind of not really viable for them to, to play in the space? I think there was a very clear turn ever since the beginning of last year where um, the government's attitude shifted from not really caring to now uh, aggressively trying to direct a, uh, the society's resources towards heavy R&D initiatives. And at the same time, heavily cracking down on rent seeking, like purely rent seeking behaviors, uh, leveraging the sort of, uh, 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 you know, moats that the business that built in the past. A very clear example, for for instance, is like if you're spending dollars into R&D onto semiconductors, government really supports you. But if you are like trying to uh, charge a bit more on the fees from Uber delivery, uh, that's, a, that's a big no-no, right? You got to pay the full salary. Gotta, and all of this goes back to our burn rate is tanking. How do we pivot to this thing that's more stable? Um, in that end, I think the tick rate, uh, the growth rate of all of these internet giants went down significantly. Their ability to rent seek just took a dive down and all of them are down like 30 to 80% if you look at the stock charts. Um, in light of that, they, they, they're sort of trying to really pivot and try to figure out what they can do, A, and they might not have time to really explore Web3. And number two is it's really hard for them to explore Web3 because the Chinese government is not really friendly in that regards. Um, however, I would say that the best talent in the space, looking at their counterparts and their friends who are in FANG, who are in Sequoia, US, that are investing and come to the space aggressively, they're actually leaving these firms, uh, going to Singapore, starting businesses that are explore this. So that's a positive. Right now, given where the market is, where things are kind of trading and... Um, what are your what are the things that are you're excited about and then what are the things that you're really not excited about that you think have been propped up for too long and you well you're welcome to start wherever you want but i want to approach both sides right because i think what, what i found in crypto right narratives we talk about narratives a lot in this podcast and and it does felt that crypto at times some narratives get pushed to extremes simultaneously like you could have DeFi be in a total forgotten bear market territory that could be nfts that are just i don't know how to explain why you know they're they're doing what they're doing so i'm curious so so let, th th there are three things i want to say actually the first thing is why are the chinese founders and the biggest problem with them is actually twitter and discord are banned in china so so <laughs> they have to vpn out so and, and telegram to a certain extent is also bad so if they want to get access to the best information and by the way the two of the top like news channels that I, I usually go to got shut down in China. So it's like, man, you really have to dig if you want to get like the most frontier information and they don't know you, Santi. Like they can't, they can't just like dig up like good stuff. Like if I were in Silicon Valley, so that, that might be why we see them being a little slower or the concept being a little weaker because they just haven't, 
been been in that environment. Um, the things that excite me the most, um, I would say this year the focus would go into four categories. You know, it would be um, various forms of digital entertainments that could bring in the next ten million users. Uh, it could be OnlyFans. It could be you know uh, a game. Uh, and uh, second, I would say is uh, various forms of digital organizations that people band together to achieve some purpose. I think actually it's not unlikely the next Berkshire equivalent could come out of this. And I think that the capital allocation tools and, and DeFi infrastructure is getting more and more ready to support something like this. Um, the third thing is this, this sort of this whole concept of indeed owning the customer journey and having the Web3 login becoming a reality, which is, I think it's, it's nuts that the three of us are having this podcast without logging in through MetaMask. It's crazy that we're not using Web3 login to log into, you know, DocuSign and signing or going to DocSend or going to Zoom calls. I don't see why not. Why aren't we using it to go into like Fortune or Bloomberg and just pay right there, right? Um, I think that whole thing is going to get a lot more flushed out in the next two years and people are building the entire stack to support it. And the cool thing about it is there, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, on-chain data filtering that can be done to really allow for user differentiation that you really can't do in Web2 yet. Um, so that's a third bucket. And then a fourth bucket is I'm still on the lookout for things that are sort of uh, unsolved in crypto. Um, I think, you know, uncollateralized lending is one of them. Um, whether there's no collateral or based on collateral, that's of non-continuous price. Uh, insurance and audit, I don't think has been solved yet. Um, I think bridging and aggregation still needs work. So maybe those are the three big categories and selectively in DeFi. Any, na any names in that category that, that you feel excited about? The last bucket. Or, or well, uh, well, all three of those, yeah. Our, our viewers love when, you know, we, we want some alpha to be legal. Yeah, we're, we're, we're shilling. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, and, and, and this is a reminder to everyone, none of this is financial legal advice or any advice. <laughs> none of us are here qualified to speak. We're just, you know, shooting the shit. I invest in this startup called Stepan, uh, S-T-E-P-N.com, uh, built out of Australia. But basically, you know, if you've played Axie, you would know you have your Axie pets and then they sort of, you fight with them and you generate earnings like SLP equivalents. So this is your own NFT shoes and then it's a mobile app. So you have these shoes, you go outside, you walk around and all these shoes have their own attributes. So sometimes you have to walk faster, sometimes slower. And when you're done with walking, the system airdrops sort of in-game currency to you, which you can directly swap into US dollars in app. You can buy more shoes, you can upgrade your shoes, you can repair your shoes. And um, the, 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 the ROI right now is actually quite good. You know, I'm getting like two, 3% on my cost. Um, I think there's a pretty sizable TAM for something like this. I think if they design the economics model well, it can sustain itself for a very long time. And it will be such an easy entryway for people that have never experienced Web3 to get into Web3. Because you open up, you buy something using credit card eventually, and you can just like go walk to breakfast and check out and then use the dollars you just earned from walk to earn to like pay for breakfast. I think that could be pretty big. Uh, and that could bring in 10 million users to the space if they nail this. Um, I think in the digital organization front, you know, I think the space is still experimenting. You know, I think uh, various attempts like Paragon DAO, which is a asset spec, you know, specifically dedicated to the parallels card game ecosystem. It's almost like a Pokemon cards game. Uh, but it's instead of like any DAO, it's really just a bunch of cash flow generating and high profile assets within that ecosystem. And it's a bunch of whales grouping together and really forming the spec to grow the ecosystem as well as manage the cash flow to continuously compound, almost like Berkshire, but it's like to one vertical. Or you have these like interesting 
I would almost call like VCs, but they are specific to one niche, such as uh, like Ancient Eight, which is a um, like a gaming specific guild. But I almost view them as using the scholars and the sort of play to earn uh, 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 labor as loss leader to get into some of these top projects uh, in day one. And being situated in Vietnam, being there in the right place, knowing the right people, being plugged in, I think they could get some really good deals. And that token is effectively an NAV, to uh, uh, like a share in, in the fund itself. Uh, and then there are other attempts like Wonderland or New Order that are literally just listed VC funds or list, list hedge funds with their own NAV. I think those are pretty interesting. Eventually something good will emerge out of it. Uh, I am curious, when you, when you think about investing, um, how do you like to play kind of taking this risk of, of making multiple bets or waiting for a category leader to kind of bubble up and then really kind of load up the truck and, and, and maybe buy the liquid token? Um, you know, how, how comfortable are you and, and where do you see more of the upside um, here? Like some, some of these categories are feel, feel quite nascent. Um, and so from a kind of a fun perspective, um, how do you play that? I think it depends on whether I feel like this thing is a winner take all with a network effect. Um, if it is, I think I'll wait. If it's not, I think I have multiple shots on goal. That, that's the quickest, easiest question. Like for, for example, like the VC, like the decentralized organization, no one can dominate every single niche. You know, people with domain expertise show up all the time. Web3 gives them capital and they can just go. And you can have yeah. a basket of these. Um, whereby for the move to earn category, for example, like Stepin, I, I don't know. I actually feel like the, the, the leader will have so many users. They have significant leverage with the other side of the network. And these other side of the network will provide so many perks that it will make sense for a lot of people to just come on this platform. So, so maybe that one, you know, it, it forced to wait. Um, I don't think there's a good answer. I think it's much easier when all of these things are public. Private is tough because, especially in the bridge and aggregator set, like I have to pass on businesses because they're just competing against one another. Yeah. I guess I want to do go back to one thing, which I don't know if you've deflected, but what are the things in sectors right now that you think are, are you wouldn't touch that are, you know, too hot, too overextended? And you know, because for reminders, I mean, in 2017, right, we thought, okay, the bear market's over. And then things that have gone down another 40%, 80, 50% can still, you know, the difference between an asset being down 80% and 90% is drastic. And it feels to me like some pockets of crypto today are still pretty propped up. I'll try to give you a few because I think you'll agree with them as well. Like, I, I've seen many attempts at we want to create this NFT marketplace that we help creators mint and create experiences. I think the biggest challenge of these platforms is not only the relationship, but it's also what can you allow the creators to do? Because we, we don't know yet, like it's being figured out. So these platforms unequivocally raise at very big valuations. I think they will have a, a very little to show for, for, for a long time. Like it's almost like you got to find a use case first and then, and then you solve for where do you find the creators? So that that's one category. Um, I've seen a lot of, you know, FANG developers migrating towards wanting to build uh, yield aggregators as well as uni V3 sort of, uh, uh, you know, engines, which I feel like it's better done prop, but versus raising a project for it. Um, I don't know if that's like a long lasting, you know, business. Um, I, and this is a broader view also, like I actually feel like broader DeFi, th there are categories, but there are some really simple categories that are only just, you know, minute improvements that don't deserve to be funded uh, as a uh, standalone protocol. 
if you're adding three features to Uniswap and you're trying to raise money, like that, that's just not that's just not interesting. Right. And and to a greater point is that some of these most I wouldn't say simple, but the most sort of uh, foundational DeFi protocols, I think they're going to get forked to death uh, by the, the sort of applications that actually own the users. Um, for example, I think Ronin and Axie is a really good example. Like they just forked Uniswap on Ronin. I would be dumbfounded if they don't fork Compound. And it's most likely than not, they'll have their own marketplace that allows users to trade access. And, and all of those rent seek and the cash flow and the fees will go towards stabilizing the sort of Axie and Ronin ecosystem. I don't think there's a chance they're going to use Uniswap and Compound for whatever they're doing. Does that mean that uh, we talk about like, there, there's a couple of theses here in mental models, right? Uh, one is the fat layer, what is the fat, like fat layer fat thesis, protocol the thesis. Placeholder kind of pro protocol, the fat protocol thesis, right? Which is most of the value will accrue to the base layer, ETH, Sol, Terra, whatever you feel is going to get a lot of users and adoption. The other one is the user aggregation, which is sort of Ben Thompson from Stratechery, which is, you know, that a lot of these in Web2 land, most of the value is being captured by the aggregators because there was no way to capture value like who de whoever developed HTTPS like there's no there's no way to develop capture it now now you can capture value on multiple parts of the stack through a token um, the question is is it sustainable it sounds to me like what you're saying is hey heck it could even be a board ape yacht club that is builds a lot of these products and forks a lot of this open source code they own the user they have the brand uh, or Axie or Illuvium or whatever comes next. And, and you're almost saying like who, he who owns uh, the user is going to be able to easily fork and plug into this composable ecosystem. And then you, you want to almost kind of be investing in that um, from a highest ROI perspective. Right. Uniswap really only has 80% user mind share and 50% market share on Ethereum. When you, go, when you go across other layer ones and layer twos, like they have zero market share. Um, and, and it will be really hard for them to take any market share, actually. Um, you know, and so it's, it's, a, it's a local, it's a no, local dominance, local network effect. Jason, you, you mentioned like local, owning like these local chains, basically, like Uniswap owns like 50% of the users or whatever on Ethereum. How much of this is, geo, uh, when it ties into your investing and your thesis is geographic ownership. So how much of your investment theses, like when, when I hear you say like step in and things like that, these are some like new uh, new applications, things that are kind of pushing farther and farther out on the risk spectrum. How much of your investing is uh, almost, I would call it like simpler. Like this is the Coinbase of China. This is the Uniswap of China. This is the Aave of China. And I guess the secondary question in there is when I look at like Web2, uh, Web2 folks, you've got like Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, uh, what is it, Xiaomi? Like that's kind of often compared to like Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, et cetera. And the Google app, you know, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft cannot really get into China a little bit. So you, you have these other things like Baidu and Alibaba, et cetera, pop up. How much of the Web3 protocols can actually permeate that firewall and get into China? And if they can't do it, doesn't it seem like it's almost an easy investment to say, okay, this is going to be the Uniswap or the compound of China? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think I think you have to break it down to two components, which is... Uh, you know, who, who is it built by and then who are the targeted audiences? Um, I, I think for me, it's, you know, the, the, the funds mandate is actually to back founders in the region or they are actually Chinese, even if they're in the U.S. Um, I think when it comes to specifically targeting the users in China, let's say, you know, like it's the Baidu, it's a Tencent, they actually target Chinese users. Um, that's actually a pretty small slice of the market. 
I think no matter I think no matter who you are as a founder, uh, I think one would be competing on a global arena for the time being, because they are whatever protocols they built will be facing a global audience. You know, they are not specifically targeting Chinese customers um, for a whole host of reasons. Big one being that there is actually no really easy fiat on ramps in China. It's a very hush hush thing to be dabbling in Web three in China, and um, you know. It, 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 I, I don't know if, like, for the time being, the Web3 parallel could still work yet today. We had Ben from, from Parify, which you know well. And, and, you know, stable coins are, I think, a wonder. They're the Trojan horse. They're onboarding mechanisms. Like, the entire world has wants to own dollars, right, for the most part. Um, and, you know, in Kowloon, I think in Hong Kong, right, uh, where you're at, like, you know, Tether is, is actually used as, like, a... a, a like a, a currency pair, if you will. Um, when I think of China, obviously, I, I think of this this tectonic shift of power between Russia, China, the U.S., and and you know, think you know, I, I don't want to make this a political discussion, but I do think it's important insofar as you think about these onboarding mechanisms. Where I think the biggest problem that the Chinese government might have is, look, fine, these users can interact in this world. The problem is they're using USDC or they're using Tether, which is dollar denominated, and that's not. I think is not very aligned with uh, their priorities. If yep. you will. Supporting the increasing demand for dollars is not something that they're probably uh, really keen on doing, unless I'm mistaken. You are not mistaken. I mean, that's that's what I meant by OTC. And by the way, when I say OTC, I don't mean it by like OTC trading of tokens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. capital flight essentially. Like you're you're swapping. Like this is why they clamp down on luxury goods. This is why they clamp down on on, on you know Chinese foreigners. Like however they they can buy apartments outside. Because for the most part, the investment products one can have in China is fairly limited, right? To real estate, which which propped up this real estate kind of bubble that you saw, um, and and demand for local currency. But when when money can move seamlessly cross border, then it really poses a threat to to more closed economies, um, and, and and the stability of, of their local currency. That yeah. it does. And going back to your question, Jason, like maybe eventually there will be a day when instead of you know uh, maybe fifty million users, we have like. 500 million users all spread across the world. Like the infrastructure is finally ready. Um, and then I, th I think you can have applications that specifically target one geography or like one geographic region. And, and they would be calling themselves like the Chinese app or, you know, the Southeast Asian app. I don't think we're kind of there yet because everything is so floating on top, digital or native. Like, I don't think we're, we have scale to that, to that phase yet. Yeah. I want to uh, actually pivot into one of your theses for the year. Um, which is bringing offline into Web3. It seems like it's kind of one of your theses for the next couple of years, I would say. Uh, and what this means, in, in my mind, it seems like it's kind of like Adidas playing with the idea of bringing like shoes into the metaverse or turning them into NFTs, or it's like NBA Top Shot turning these like physical NBA moments into these like digital saleable formats, right? But we still feel like we're really, really early days. Why does this seem like uh, I might be putting words in your mouth, but it seems like you think that this is one of the most exciting things going on. Can you just expand on that thesis? Yeah, I think um, th there are things that are like good, bad ideas. You know, I think like um, hauling a car in, in your like digital device back in 1995 is like a good, bad idea. Yeah, I mean, because this could be a, just like a very skeuomorphic idea where it's uh, it's like, no, just leave the physical stuff behind. Leave it in the physical world, right? and create digital only, but... I think that role will eventually come, but that's when a lot of infrastructure needs to be ready. You know, I think we need the infrastructure of... And by the way, like, 
you're not putting words in my mouth. It's like I think this could be an interesting area of exploration, right? But but I think for that to happen is we need we need mobile centric uh, sort of uh, uh, Web three wallet and Web three experiences that are just there. We we almost need some kind of uh, on chain off chain custodian service that is of somewhat trusted actor or at least a at least alliance of it to like let's say if we want to put real estate on chain well like damn the certificate has to be somewhere it might be in Coinbase and then they mint some NFT that represents your your ownership of the house and then maybe through KYC ML like it becomes distributed right maybe and and, we, and then we need some it's a crazy world we live in so we need some sort of KYC ML infrastructure that is like maybe oracleized and allow for very quick and easy sort of peeling of information. Um, and then we need very, very smooth fiat on off ramp, right? But when we have those things, then we can have really crazy, interesting experiments, such as I have a door lock that I can scan with my MetaMask wallet and it just opens, right? And I'm like leasing out my apartment that way. Or like I have a board at Yacht Club, you know, punk, and that's in my wallet and I bought a ticket to some concert. I show them my ticket and it's like, oh God, you're a board ape owner. Like, come here. This is the VIP room. Um, but, but I, I and, and then maybe like, hey, I'm going to an event, like the Please or Dow like event. It's like, hey, I'm scanning with my wallet and I actually own Peeps tokens. Like, please come on right in. But I don't think we're there yet. But I, I, I can't see why that won't be the future, but that future could be three, five years away. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like, where, where do we actually think uh, from an adoption standpoint, from an infrastructure standpoint, like a, a lot of what we talk about is, and we, by virtue of just trying to understand this chaotic world and how it's going to evolve, we make analogies. One of them is how the internet evolved. And we like to think about, ask, like, where are we? Are we in 1991, 93, 94, 99 on the cusp of it? Or are we in 2002? Like, I'm curious to get your, your thoughts on, on, cause you know, for anyone, for context, like I think Jason, when I talk to some of the best investors, traditional investors, they inherently reference your Web3 thesis and your deck that you posted publicly, which I think is a great reference that we'll link in the show notes. Uh, and you talk about this, so I'm, 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 I would love for you to share kind of your thoughts on, on the evolution of, of it and where we are in this trajectory. Yeah, I think um, the, the numbers obviously changed because I think um, MetaMask is now pushing towards, you know, five to 10 million daily active users. Maybe my, my numbers are wrong. And then the entire sort of what through space today, the people who are natively interacting through some of, some form of on-chain wallets and interacting with the space is probably five to 10 to maybe even 15 million people. Uh, registered number of users uh, on-chain with more than one, some, some amount is probably 15, 20, 25 million. Um, Coinbase registered user count, you know, 45, 50, 55 million users. None of them are mostly active, maybe 3 million, 5 million active. If you benchmark that number versus like internet adoption, number of internet users, it's probably 1995 to 1997 uh, that we're at today in terms of absolute number of users. Um, Is that also true for applications? So probably not. And, and it depends on what kind of application you're talking about, right? If you're talking about very hidden DeFi applications, it's probably 100 daily active user. If you talk about things like Axie Infinity at its might, uh, probably a million, right? And that's definitively earlier. But then again, you know, in 1995 to 1999, the top internet applications probably only have that amount of users also. So, so we're probably right around then. I think when it comes to the cycle, it, it does feel like 1999 a little bit, which is we can almost taste the future. <laughs> the, the Fed's attitude is very similar to what we were back then with six points higher of rates. Um, I think 
I think I think the space will move faster than the Web two uh, era because we what, have a what, much. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say what. Why do you think that? Yeah, because I think we have a much. It, it, we were almost at a standing start of number of programmers back in nineteen ninety nine. You know, it's like your dad is like a nerd and you went to MIT or something. But but we have a lot of like chats now that are really just love programming. Um, and it's globally, right? Um, and the second difference is that now capital is more expensive now, but capital can find these smart guys very, very quickly, natively online. And it, the capital will empower them like ways never before. Um, so, so good ideas, it used to be you have to bag around Sand Hill Road, like maybe that doesn't exist. Back then you have to really like pitch around. You don't have Docsend. You have to like actually bring a deck. But now it's like, dude, you, you, can, you can raise $15 million in a weekend. Um, that will empower good ideas to be iterated faster, uh, coordination in a global scale, incentivized through tokens. And I think that the process will be a lot faster uh, than what it was about to. Yeah, I've always felt that like, the crypto, I mean, it took the internet in earnest like 20 plus years to see multiple instantiates of really good ideas, terrible business models, but, you know, something like pets.com worked, something like licensing a particular software worked in software as a service, not so much on-premise. Like a lot of things really change in, in pre-99 to post.com crash, primarily software as a service. This idea of shifting CapEx to OpEx, making it much cheaper for a startup to power all of their operations in a very cheap way. Um, you obviously benefited from smartphone adoption, tell your hours, like ch cheaper access to internet on a global scale. And I think crypto comes along and says, hey, wait a minute, you can move information at the speed of light, great. Now you can move capital at the speed of light, and, and, and you have this very composable ecosystem that collapses the price for startups. You know, it's fascinating that we see it, like projects in crypto can get off the ground with a two, three person team, like Uniswap had less than 20 developers for such a long time, Axie as well, Aave as well. These are, these are like protocols. It's just incredible that the level of iteration that is much, much faster, supported by capital on a global scale. Look, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't know where we're on the cycle. I was actually kind of disappointed in the last cycle in like 2017, because if you looked at the amount of capital formation that went into the dot-com crash, and the amount of money that was in, into ICOs, it was like a drop in the bucket, right? It was a fraction of that. And you say, well, th this can probably go on faster. Mind you, the dot-com crash was pretty much local to Europe and, and the US, right? You certainly had allocators from Japan and also like allocate, putting money into the US, right? But this is a global system, right? And, and I always felt that, you know, it's almost like, yeah, like w w what do you think is gonna happen when people can move money seamlessly across the world? Um, look, there's still bottlenecks, but you know, I think that's a super cycle that we're in. Now, it's not an up-only super cycle, I think. It's just sort of like a secular 20-plus trend. But to your point, I do agree with, which is it feels to me like it's going to move much faster. Maybe not so much the – maybe the adoption, maybe the infrastructure, maybe all of them, because you're using the distribution of the Internet. And the, you, you, the Internet didn't have that. Like A lot of things needed to be built, but now you're kind of like built on top of that. And ideas move much faster and get funded much faster, to your point. And the compounding rates of that innovation is something that I think always gets me out of bed and, and, and excited. Uh, no, it doesn't mean that a startup with 20 people with no product with Ponzonomic should be worth $2 billion fully diluted. 
will back off, but still something core like Ethereum that you have a very clear visibility into how value accrues with growing demand across multiple application layers, NFTs, DeFi, DAOs, like, yeah, like, you know, we talk about Bitcoin being worth potentially digital gold, a trillion. I always think, well, what's the upper bound on all the economic activity of the internet? You asked me the question of what, what I like the most when I'm most excited, like, I guess for you, you know, looking at this year, um, is there something you really want to see happen or is there something you really are excited about? Yeah. I mean, I'm Jason Fufuti, I mean, I'll tell you what I'm excited about. I think I'm excited to see the next generation of, of, of games in this GameFi sector. Uh, I think Axie as a game has just showed you how big this market can be because it's not a very, it's not a great game. And I think the Axie team would admit to that. It's just a very simplistic game. There are, there are, there's just much, so I'm just investing in two projects. One of them is being advised by the founder of Counter-Strike. The other one is ex Candy Crush guys. Like I always look at that as a, as a proxy for smart people coming into and seeing what Axie has done and saying, I can do much better and they're going to build a much better game. And so it's stuff like Alluvium stuff, other games that are coming that are really immersive and any game, traditional games, I think the economy needs to be, is games are reliant on big spenders. And you haven't seen that in crypto today because actually this play to earn is sort of a misnomer. I'm excited about play and earn, right? Stepin probably feels more close in, in that direction. Like I just went for a run this morning. I, I used one of my trainers. I earned stuff. And I think the, the broader kind of what's so exciting about this space is I think DeFi and, and, and some of these games have proven, okay, you can do coordination at scale and incentives done correctly can really nudge people in a very interesting way but we haven't seen sectors like applied to healthcare for instance or applied to broadly just um you know gaming i think and so uh, these are two like like gaming startups in, in traditional markets are like probably the fastest most scaling most profitable enterprises full stop like candy crush and like Fortnite, like these are massive now so I'm excited about seeing like immersive games um, that combine all of the elements that have already been built, DeFi on the back end, the ability to have ownership through NFTs and be part of communities and immersive worlds. So I'm excited about that. And, and you know, no surprise, we've talked about a lot of these games in this pod and uh, some that are, I'm not an investor in, but I'm just excited. So that's probably number one. Two is just increasingly, I've been thinking about healthcare. Um, and I spoke with Raj, who's who, who one of the founders of Salon, and he's he used to be at Omada, which focuses on like improving outcomes for diabetes patients, which is obviously a huge problem. We have obesity, and so you know maybe Stepan is a good kind of um, beta into this. And and again, I've always felt that the healthcare system is broken because it's not it's not preventative; it's very reactive, at least in the West. Um, and there's not, it doesn't feel like insurance companies and the current medical, like healthcare system is really focusing on this incentives. It's hard, but I think we have a way to do this. Like, you know, we have a way of, of incentivizing people and rewarding them for doing good stuff. And, and I think, uh, so, so I'm, I'm maybe I'll build something in this space because I love healthcare. This is probably the first time I publicly said this, but yeah, those are like thematically, broadly speaking, I'll tell you what I don't like. And I think we're in a healthy correction. Um, I've been for a while of the mind that it is even the private markets are just, just, just hot. somehow the $10 million Y combinator, $20 million Y combinator deal is now a hundred million. And then there's, there's this escalator rounds like 
they close. And then the second week they're already talking about funding. I'm like, guys, like I'll, I'll say it again. Like some of the, it's all vaporware. Um, and so look, I think they're smart founders. They're, they're good founders, but things take time to build. And I think a lot of it has just been on this financial engineering focus and not so much on let's just build useful stuff. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I'm, 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 it's a sort of a broad kind of question. I, the other thing that I, I want to get your perspective on is, and I've heard this, I've heard this line of reasoning out there, and I'm not sure if I believe it or not, but it's an interesting kind of like hypothetical, which is, do you think that the space continues to be super correlated to, to Bitcoin? Uh, like if you look at luxury goods, they're somewhat like different, like NFT, are NFTs that? So maybe that's my, my first question. Like, obviously, we talk about correlation a lot, and it feels like the market's super correlated right now. It's like a NASDAQ on overdrive. But do you think that this ever breaks? And people start – from your conversations with large allocators of capital, do they still see this space as like this is Bitcoin and all it's plus? Or, or do they appreciate all the different kind of verticals that are being kind of developed? And I think an extension to that question, Jason, would just be do we need a strong Bitcoin for crypto to have success? Or is it okay if we kind of consolidate around Bitcoin and then and, and crypto still could go up and projects could get built? I think to the extent so this is my personal opinion, by the way, like a lot of Bitcoin max is gonna torch me. Um Well they already do, so it's fine. <laughs> um I, I think to the extent that we can find to the extent that we don't find uh, a layer two that leverages uh Bitcoin security characteristics. Um, I think it's healthy that the space decorrelates from Bitcoin, and it, it probably will. And actually, it's my view that it will, because they fun, fun, fundamentally go after very different things. Um, I think Bitcoin, interestingly, during the last fork, sort of missed this opportunity to become this foundational uh, security layer for uh, a lot of the valid transfer activities. I think it sort of encapsulated itself into something that's uh, more of a narrative of where a hedge against government responsibility and where inflationary hedge in grave scenarios, whereby a lot of the interesting, um, I wouldn't even like it, it, it's it's just that some of the interesting and brighter and the sort of B two C minds have decided to focus their attention somewhere else that's not Bitcoin, and I think I think the decorrelation is likely in the up market uh, into the future. That market, everything goes to correlation goes to one. What is the worst case scenario for a bear market? Like, do we go back to like 2017 was pretty brutal. I think you didn't have more permanent capital base. A lot of it was just recycling ETH into ICOs and a very small subset of, of market participants. Uh, a lot of it also was just trading what thought like a macro hedge and a very small piece of their portfolio. So they chopped that descript like ruthlessly. Is there a bid at like ETH at seventeen hundred, fifteen hundred, eleven hundred? Um, I think what's different now is institutions have sort of come more so now to this idea that they want to have exposure. That perhaps Ethereum, Solana, this entire is more of a tech bet. Now, if all of tech Nasdaq gets crushed, well, <laughs> yeah, good luck. Um, but I'm curious, like, like I know timing markets and predicting bottoms is is something that you don't do. But I do think it still factors into your thinking of how you kind of play out the space, how you turn your portfolio defensive or not, and 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 what does that do for adoption of some of these projects, even including Stepin and stuff like that, right? I think at a cheap valuation, you can do it irrespective of the cycle. 
number one. If you get into things at $15 million and their future is dictated by them scaling users and adoption, I think do that. you do that regardless of cycles, right? Um, I think regarding the space, um, I think ideally you want to have an environment that is uh, pro-growth, low rates, light liquidity, right? Good liquidity. Um, and that's not an environment that we're going into which means that the space becomes a lot more PVP. I think things start to wobble and, and break. And then the, 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 the debate then becomes, well, not the debate, but like the most likely scenario is this year or next year, uh, we're gonna have two, three interesting breakthroughs of new primitives, like play to earn, you know, like social, like whatever that is, uh, that's gonna capture the entire space's attention and capital is gonna pile into it because that's like the only bright spot that is like new. Right, and that space goes from you know fifty million sector to like ten billion sector in three months, and everybody chases it because that's where you get returns. This is like the the spark that the spark that Compound initiated for DeFi summer back when I was at Parify, right? exactly. and we just saw it, the panacea of like DeFi became a thing. Yeah, it's it's a, and it's a new thing. It has yeah. to be a new thing, right? You know, Ohm was a new thing. I was, I was going to ask you, could it be a new thing or could it be something old that it gets rebranded and reskinned? You know, like people like, I appreciate the people like shiny new toys. We talk about DeFi having a resurgence, maybe because there's more users in adoption. Maybe not, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't know if you have ideas of what this new thing, new primitive could be. Or is it just a com composition of, of all everything? Yeah, I don't, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm still looking. Um, my... Um, my hunch is it utilizes the same set of financial leverage. Um, my hunch is it has to do with digital entertainment. Um, I just know what it is. I'm looking like there are interesting targets out there. You know, there's like magic, you know, treasure.lol. Um, there are things like, you know, the drool ecosystem. Um, there is the, I, I even hesitate to say like the amalgamation of convex and ohm but in a different format in like Xerox DAO and all these things on Phantom. Um, and then there's like the new great composability layer of, you know, uh, Cosmos, you know, modularizing every layer of layer one, which I, I think could grab a lot of attention. Uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm paying attention. And Jason, if you like, if you like something like Nier, right? Uh, you, you, you know, you think that Nier is going to, the ecosystem will grow, let's call it 10 to 50 X in the next couple of years. Is your bet, how do you play that bet, right? Do you invest in an ecosystem fund? Are you buying near the token? Are you trying to buy the, the apps on top of near? Uh, are you buying near and staking? Like what, what is your participation in that ecosystem look like? Yeah, um, I think buying the base layer is just having a stake in the currency, right? And that currency is what you, how you buy into the ecosystem. I think the easiest, well, I wouldn't call it the easiest way, but like the, the most advantaged way to uh, uh, benefit is to, uh, aggressively look for potential fair launches and farming opportunities that with near and maybe some other currency as a base pair that you just gets you tokens free yield sometimes really 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 good um and then plus potentially rotating those proceeds into really early stage private deals uh and because you're in that ecosystem early you get access to them um i i i don't think that ecosystem would migrate beyond the dynamics of something that comes out to the market a tiny circulating and massive fdv and, and it almost always means that buying to those tokens at, at FDV is like a bad idea. Uh, I think private, farm plus private is still the way to go. Jason, I want to uh, 
start to wrap this up actually by tying it back to China and tying it actually back to the macro situation there um, to try to maybe come full circle to the beginning of our conversation. Several times in, the, in this chat, you've mentioned like, I, th- I, I guess it's becoming consensus uh, just in general in the markets with investors that things are tanking right now because the Fed is tightening, right? It's like, it's becoming kind of consensus that that's what's happening. But when I look across to China, it's it's a different situation in China, right? China's starting easing, right? They're they're starting to cut their rates lower and lower. Uh, they're calling for more expansive fiscal policy. Uh, Beijing's calling for increased infrastructure spending. But that is not, and they're obviously one of the you know, probably second biggest market in the world, right? Uh, why is that not impacting the markets? Why is that not? And they're also still, I mean, I know they've been tight on crypto, but like there is still a lot of Bitcoin crypto activity out there. Why is that not impacting the markets? Uh, China easing. Yeah. Um, I guess there, there are three parts to it. Number one is a lot of the flow in the market is predominant, dominated by Western institutions. Maybe there's informational gap. Maybe there isn't. Uh, number two is that there's actually uh, a lot of destruction of capital and wealth in China that happened in the past you know, year or so that we just didn't get to see it. Like a lot of the Chinese internet stocks are down you know, 50 to 80%. Uh, that yes, maybe they should be using because the economy is actually turning the other way. Um, and the third thing is that you know, maybe in terms of sheer size, when it comes to the beneficiary that could actually act on crypto, that funnel of liquidity is actually not very direct and vibrant uh, like it was before. I think if they did the same thing before they cracked down on Bitcoin, it would have been way more direct. Jason, I've always enjoyed our our conversations, and I think this very much resembles the kind of discussions that we've had privately, and I'm so so happy that you were able to come on on the pod, especially in a day like today. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to cover that you want to impress on our listeners, but um, I think... uh, I think for anyone out there, I highly encourage you to go out and check out Jason's research, um, his Web3 thesis, and hopefully there's a refresh coming later this year. But uh, Jason, I don't know uh, if there's anything else that you want to touch on and, or, or cover before we wrap up. No, Jason Santiago, thank you for having me. This is great. Thanks for coming on, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Awesome, guys. Don't get liquidated. <laughs>